Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael Russo and Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Michael, I think you're going to love our guest today. Leslie Gibbs is smart and funny and she is insightful. And I think you're really going to love her because she thinks about this the same way you do. So y'all are going to be super best friends. Yeah, I would say more like you do. She's very strategy side. But, but we're super best friends. Yeah. And well, I think she's awesome because she and I sound alike. Therefore, you're going to think she's awesome because you think I'm awesome. Yes, sometimes. <laughs> All but, the time. But you just strategy- like to hide it sometimes. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I have to keep you on a, on a, you know, we can't be praised Jackie all the time. What? We should praise Jackie all the time. That could be our new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, no, I think Leslie talks a lot about, um, we, we definitely align on a lot of things by by coincidence. And we didn't, I, I don't think we knew that going in, but her talk of consumer insight, how she uses strategy, how it has to really be at the forefront um, of, of anything that comes out of that. And um like I said, I, I love that, you know, she talked about her healthcare experience, which we have a lot of in, in, in our in our years of, uh, of working in different industries. And um, yeah, it was just it was just refreshing. Right. Well, and the thing that I think is is so valuable is getting perspective from someone, whether they've worked at Procter & Gamble like she has or um, creative artist agency like I have, um, is realizing it doesn't matter what part of the country, what company, when you're with somebody who does it right, there's there's just a right way. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that she brings a lot of that right way mentality to the work that she does, and it's admirable. Absolutely. And joining us today is Leslie Gibbs. Her mission is to help companies create and implement sustainable brand strategies that accelerate growth. She's passionate about consumer insights and value creation. She loves working in healthcare and supporting products and services that enhance people's lives. Leslie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jackie. We are so glad you're joining us today, and I'm even more surprised that you've listened to a few of our episodes and still agreed to join us today. We think that's a mark of a true hero, so thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Uh, Michael and I are really working through, um, you know, being good hosts together and, uh, you know, maybe cutting down on the bickering a little bit. We'll see how well that goes today. So we were talking... um, Backstage, I don't know why I feel the need to say backstage or green room, neither applicable. We were talking before we started to record um, about the changes you've been going through in your career. And I'd love for you to share a little bit with us because I've been there. I've done that. I get it. So tell us about what you're going through. Yeah, Jackie, after 30 years of brand management and being in the C-suite and being on the client side, I made a decision like 10 days ago (laughs) um, to start my own consulting group um, called Strategic Branding Matters. Um, And uh, it is a new exploration. And I already have a couple of clients, including my previous employer, who was very happy to get on board and help support this endeavor. But I am in uncharted territory. So uh, I'm 
happy to have that conversation as well. Well, kudos to you. It's a brave, bold step. Um, and I hope you enjoy the journey as much as we have. Um, I, I was mentioning to you that for me, those first few days, weeks, months, I didn't feel so much as an outside consultant um, as I did unemployed, even though I had five um, clients by the time that I left my full time in-house job. And it was it was nerve wracking. I was scared. I was worried. I was nine months pregnant. I was maybe a little dumb and crazy and young and naive, but um, it really did all work out. And so I applaud you for taking this step. I think you'll see the journey from in-house to outside consultant is is a big, bold one, but you get to do big, bold work now. And that's kind of fun. That is exactly what I'm hoping for. I'm very excited about it. I'm definitely feeling a bit bipolar. Um, and I told someone at lunch the other day, um, my biggest fear is that someone's going to offer me a great full-time job and that they're going to tempt me back. And I'm like, gosh, after contemplating this for so long and taking the jump, please do not offer me a position. Um, I, I really want to make this work. <laughs> that, you know, that's happened to me a couple of times and it's hard to say no, um, but it's worth it because when you've been your own boss for a little while, it's hard to go back. You know, and for, for a long time, uh, I mean, we've been around our agencies over 20 years now and we've had different um, segments. We've kind of found in the last five years or so, um, found our sweet spot, you know, what we're really good at and and, and really targeted yeah. on, on the type of clients that we wanted and the type of work that we wanted to do. And we, we learned that we were really industry agnostic. You know, we really didn't. Um, and for a time, we, we went all in on healthcare, for example. We had a bunch of hospitals we represented. Um, and then we were in the tech side and um, we were in tourism for a little while. And and what we realized is that our process, which we call razor branding, kind of fit into anything. And, and anytime we plugged it into a certain category, we were successful in that. And we like, OK, well, that, this is good. And it all centered around, um, especially the beginning, consumer insight, really learning about our clients, learning about their industries, learning the ins and outs and and all that stuff. And if we had that as a base point that our process still worked. And like I said, I'm, I, you know, you may still be in just healthcare related um, um, uh, branding and advertising, but you know, what, what we found is that when you have those core things in place, everything kind of works out. You know, you, if, if you're so into one industry, you know, like I said, basically you were successful in what you did before, probably because you had a, an internal process of how that all worked. Is that right? Yeah, I agree completely. And I too am industry agnostic, even though my brand statement says that I'm I work particularly well in healthcare because I have um, a, a breadth of healthcare experience, and I think the need is greater in healthcare than some other folks, uh, other industries. I agree wholeheartedly. The process doesn't change. You don't need experience in an industry to come help. Uh, brand develop a strategy. Um, and sometimes it's even an advantage, right? Because we steal from other industries. I started in consumer packaged goods at, at Procter & Gamble. So I learned the PNG way to do things. I was in brand management. I understood that strategy um, managed the entire brand, not the advertising. Um, from there, I went to LensCrafters 
which, by the way, at that time was filled with PNG people because <laughs> uh, we were we were down the road from each other. And so um, and Lenscrafters was less than 10 years old and they were stealing people from PNG right and left. And so my basis of really how I have addressed all my opportunities since then all came from that brand management strategy and consumer packaged goods, but it applies just as well in healthcare or cosmetics or for a while I um, was in ignition interlocks, which are the things that you put on a car when someone gets a drunk driving offense. It works across the board. Um, And I think stealing ideas from other industries is not only fair game, but it's competitive advantage. We use the word borrowing, Leslie. <laughs> Cross pollinating, yes. inspiring. My company's too small to have a legal department. <laughs> <laughs> then don't use the word stealing until you have a lawyer on retainer. There you go. Good advice. I'll write that one down. I love what you said, though. The strategy leads the branding, not the advertising. I think that that is exactly right. I think people want to jump into the end result and and the the pretty pictures before they go into why are we doing it in the first place? You know, what's the who, the what, the why, you know, and and those are all so crucial when you're looking at a a strategy. And I guess strategy and all the smaller businesses up to the medium are the hardest ones, I think, because they don't have the, I don't have the time for that. I don't have the budget for that. And it's like, you, you can't afford not to sometimes, you know, it, it, you're just basically wasting money if you're not really, if you don't have a plan, you know? I, I absolutely agree. And I kind of view it that strategy is cake and advertising is icing and decoration. And you can't just start with the icing and decoration. It's not going to work. You have to bake the cake first. And quite honestly, that's my part of the business. I'm not a creative person. I love creative people. I surround myself with creative people. I celebrate what they bring to the party, but I bake cakes. Which is because you follow a recipe, which is what a good strategist does is you have a process to create the cake so that it's yeah. good every time, even though one time it may be red velvet and another time it may be bunt, it's different recipes, same great results. Yeah. And Jackie and I were two sides of that. I mean, um, <laughs> definitely. Uh, but I think over the, over time, what we've learned is that those are so important, you know, and, and I think I've become more of a strategist and she's become more of an appreciator of, of the creative process as well and how that helps the strategy move. And the same thing with the creative, creative can be great, but if you don't have the strategy to help it move and motivate um, behavior, that then it's just kind of like, you know, guessing at things and hoping for the best. And that's never good. Well, and another thing about the, the advertising side that you must experience, because I experience it and I'm not advertising, is everybody is a consumer of advertising. So they therefore think that they are experts at advertising. So Thanksgiving, people come to me with ideas at the Thanksgiving table. I have a great idea for you. And it's, that's got to be crazy for you because it hits me all the time. Everybody in the company has an idea of how we should And what you need is a strong strategic platform to explain these are the guardrails. Yeah, you have a cool idea, but in no way does that deliver upon the strategy. (laughs) Um, And so that's one of the challenges that I have found throughout my career. 
is even, you know, board members, CEOs, they are consumers and therefore they have some very set ideas that they think are absolutely genius, but (laughs) aren't based on strategy. Do you face that? You have to. All the time, Leslie. Every, every All minute the time. of every day. Yes. And, oh and my sometimes gosh. it's great. Like we have a, you know, we have a very um large uh, uh company that their CEO, we have meetings with him weekly and he loves advertising. He loves being part of the process. And and he's I mean, he is a great contributor because he has great ideas, sometimes too many ideas that we have to kind of fill in. But not all are like that. Some some are, you know, they're so they have blinders on, you know, that they only, they see what they want to see. And they're not, they're not thinking of it. God, it's a conversation we had this morning, Jack. It was about, you know, uh, a Trust. client that, that can only, and they can only see what they want to see. I'm like, I'm not selling to you. I'm selling to your audience mm-hmm. and your audience has to be the, the hero right now. Not you. I mean, you know, you're thinking of it the way you want to think of it, but frankly, you're wrong. Like, like, I mean, I don't, it's sometimes it's a hard conversation to have. It's like, you know, yeah, you are the brains behind this operation. You are brilliant. You're smarter than I am, but you're wrong about this because you're not seeing it through the eyes of the people who are buying what you sell. Right. Right. It's really, it's happened two times uh, in my career. That's very distinct. Um, The first is a billion dollar um, board president who wanted to have us uh, develop a line of, of products for his financial institution that would target um, new homeowners. And I thought, well, sir, you inherited <laughs> the mansion in which you live. You've never been a buyer. Uh, and so he kept having these crazy ideas about what home buyers wanted and needed. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do you have any friends that have ever bought a house? You're so far off base of the fear of home buying, the hassle of home buying, the not understanding of interest rates of home buying, the not understanding what it's like to own a home and and manage it. So huge disconnect. And so everything we brought, having been a recent new home buyer that I knew was right on the money, he was so removed from that. I'm like, sir, you're in your 70s and we're talking to people who are in their 20s. You don't remember your 20s. You're so far from it. The second is a um, auto dealer client who lived in a very wealthy, gated uh, suburban community far from his dealership that um, specialized in no credit, bad credit buyers um, on the, the bad side of town is where he was located. A lot of old used clunker. Yeah, kind of cars. Great first car, probably for somebody. Jackie, and, we like to say the developing side of town. Sorry, developing side of town. Uh, not yet gentrified side of town. Um, and he wanted us to put a billboard um, at the ramp, exit ramp, to get to his neighborhood so that he could see his logo every day on his way home. And I was like, I, I can't charge it to that lot. I mean, he had a bunch of different lots. I was like, because you are now 50 miles <laughs> from where your buyers are. And and this board is not going to drive anybody to that location. And so it's a balancing act of how do we really represent the client's customer and keep the client happy? Because sometimes those are two vastly removed things. When I was at P&G, the CEO at the time lived in um, a, a suburb in Cleveland called Hyde Park. Oh, yeah. And we would talk about that the national execution of any brand was evaluated based on the Hyde Park Kroger. (laughs) That it literally did not matter what was happening anywhere else in the country. If you nailed it in Hyde Park, you were a star. 
if they didn't have a gigantic tide display, what the heck? Right. Um, and and that's that kind of myopic view that we have to navigate. Um, I also have recently had discussions about, you know, um, my my past employer uh, targeted very much a 65 plus unhealthy population. And there was a lot of interest um, in our partnership in why aren't we on airport ads? And I'm like, well, um, first of all, 50% of the people don't live there. And secondly, our population isn't traveling a ton. Right. <laughs> They're sick. Right. Um, and and so just it you know what you see and being able to divorce your experience from your target audience experience, mm. I guess is trickier than it seems. It is. And especially for the armchair experts that you're talking about who show up at Thanksgiving dinner and want to give us <laughs> feedback on our ad campaigns. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to me. I think Michael's uh, dad still thinks that he draws cartoons on TV, um, like animated TV shows, because he hasn't quite gotten the transition from advertising and graphic design to animation. That's we don't work for The Simpsons, um, <laughs> although I kind of wish we did. Um, so when you think about um, your your journey and you you look at the landscape, do you want to um, stay 50-50 healthcare? Do you want to continue to spread your wings and branch? Because we have found healthcare to hospitality, they're the same thing. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing, this crossover, and you mentioned it earlier, this crossover of industries. At the end of the day, we're just people selling things to other people. Um, yeah. And so- are you challenged by that? Are you interested in that? What's, what's your frame of mind? My frame of mind is that my real strength is in consumer insights. And um, any industry that is not exclusively business to business, I think is fair game. And arguably business to business is peripheral. It is adjacent because a lot of the same things will work and I have done business to business. But what I've found is in most cases, even the companies that had a strong business to business and my last employer, when I came on was 100% doctor referrals. Mm -hmm. But what they brought in me in to do is see if there was a direct to consumer side of the business. Mm -hmm. And um, when I left my full-time position, it was 25%. So yes, the answer to the question is yes, there was an opportunity to talk to consumers. Um, so I am absolutely open to all industries. Um, and um, I think I think that anywhere there are strong consumer insights and an opportunity to uh, differentiate, that's where I'll be. Um, I don't, you know, I, I would steer clear of any industry that's commoditized, that's price only, because uh, that's that is just a hard one to win. Um, but would argue that even in those industries, there's an opportunity to differentiate if you want to invest in it. Right. Um, so what I really try to bring is discipline and um, data usage and thought provoking 
um, ways to think about the business. Mm-hmm. And it is completely industry agnostic. And quite honestly, there are more similarities between um, dentistry and cosmetics than there in, is in dentistry and vascular care. Right. And yet I've done both. Um, so, yeah. Well, right. the thing is, you know, when you talk about consumer insight, that is the driver, kind of what we we're talking about earlier and here and everything. If if you're using that to drive the train, then you're always going to be in the right place, you know, because they're the ones that are going to tell you, they're going to give you the answers, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're about solving problems. There's yeah. got to be a problem somewhere. Otherwise, why do it, right? And And what are we trying to figure out? And the consumers have the answers. We have to listen to them, though. We have to go find out what they want to say, what's important, and how to how to implement it. And that goes into again everything we do, like we, you know, branding. You know, people think they own their own brand. They don't. The consumer owns the brand. They're going to define how they think about it, how they perceive it, how they want to use it. And that works with, um, you know, recently we've been really, really heavy into B two B work, and we've tried to bring a B two C approach to b2b work you know um and and not look at it from b2b lenses where you're like oh my god we have to be really corporate and stiff and we have to be all about the numbers it's like no you can still talk to people you can still have a personality you can still have a voice in the room that's unique to you yeah and i i think i'm also one degree deeper into the corporate environment where I'm trying to help companies create strategies that will then influence hiring, training, capital investments, operations, new product development, that kind of where do we want to be as a company? And then work with folks like you to say, and how do we best tell that story to the consumer? Um, Because, you know, The one disconnect I have seen in my 30 some years is that marketing cannot be divorced from operations. It has to deliver on the proposition of promise. You could come up with a great insight and say, this is what we want to do. It will clearly differentiate the brand, but is it achievable? You know, it may be meaningful, but is it achievable? And if it's achievable, is it sustainable? Can it, it can this be something that we deliver on day in, day out in a profitable way that creates value for our investors? Or is this smoke and mirrors? Absolutely. No, preach, preach. Um, you know, I, I love about all of the words you said um, and there were so many nuggets in there. I think one of the most important things, and we talk about this a lot, the touch points. And so people seem to think marketing is just what happens outside of the building. And they forget all of the touch points that occur inside the building. Um, the the relationships that are made inside the building, the emails, the phone calls, the timing. Uh, I, I've used as an example forever, and this is the one time they finally let me down, that you know I'm a, a chronic iPhone buyer. Um, it's a secret. Michael's unaware of it. He probably thinks I still have the iPhone one and not the 14 pro. Um, but I'm, you know, it comes out, I'm swapping the old one. I'm getting the new one. I like the technology. And I noticed years ago that Apple would give a fake arrival deadline. They did it every time. 
they would tell me the thing would come the 15th of the month and then it arrived the 5th of the month. And I was so pleased because it came 10 days early. And then I figured it out eventually. I was like, oh, wait, they're just giving me a fake deadline. Okay. And then this time it was promised on the 15th and it arrived on the 14th. And I was like, I'm, I'm on to your game, guys. It's no longer cool. Um, but so that's about process and that's about operations, but it affects branding and it affects marketing. And so it all works together. And I don't think enough people appreciate what you just said. Really, if you're listening, rewind it and listen to it again, because that's how impactful it was. Well, and that was that was the PNG way, right? That was brand management. Is that you know we we all saw this graph where there was finance and all these uh, operations and manufacturing, and brand management was the hub of the wheel. And I got really spoiled um, because we were part of the the guiding decision making of the brand. Well, then the interesting thing is that not all organizations are structured like P&G. And you don't really know that. And one of the questions I get from young marketers all the time is, what one piece of advice can you give me? And I'm like, you need to go to a company where marketing is valued as a guidepost, not seen as a tactical execution and expense. As you start to hear how they speak about marketing, you will get a sense. Are you the hub or are you some distant shed that they pull out at the end? Um, you know, you can't be the tail in this industry right. and, and be an, a change agent. And so that's really at the core of what I found over the last 30 years and want to help guide companies to this thinking that strategy is a guidepost for the company. Mm -hmm. It is not a guidepost for advertising. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I love the early P&G lessons. And um, I I'm going to make a comment about myself, and this is not reflective of you. My first job out of college, my first real job was working for a creative artist agency in Los Angeles, which I was shocked to realize was 30 years ago this month that I was hired. Um, that feels like three minutes and three decades and 300 years all at the same time. Um, I have been writing on that line on my resume for 30 years now, and it has opened more doors and gotten me in more places. And I, I like the way you integrate your Procter & Gamble examples, though. So I wasn't taking that as a dig at you. It's definitely a dig at me. Um, but I, I am fascinated by that because they really are the holy grail of doing it right. How did you get in there? What was that experience like? I, I can listen to P&G stories all day. So please share. It's actually so much shapes who I am. Um, I was an overachieving marketer at um, a state college. Okay. And I researched companies and knew that I wanted to be at a brand centric company. And I read 100 companies that you want to work for, right? The 100 best companies to work for and identified three companies that I wanted to go after, none of which recruited at my school. Disney, mm -hmm. Leo Burnett, oh, yeah. and Procter & Gamble. And I often Perfecto. think back, I wonder how my life would have been different if I started at Leo Burnett 
or if I had started Disney, who I later worked with in my career um, in licensing. I worked very closely with Disney, but I already knew at the ripe age of 20 that I wanted to be in brand management and I wanted to create lasting brands that added value to stakeholders. Um, So that's where the attraction came. Did the research, applied, sent my resumes out, and lo and behold, P&G reached out to me, I'm going to say, in spring of my senior year. So what I know about P&G now is that the recruiting year was over in spring of Mm. my senior year. And so they had schools that they recruited from. Um, It was about 80% MBAs and about 20% undergraduates. And the undergraduate schools were like Harvard, um, uh, uh, Howard. Sure. um, You know, the usual uh, suspects, certainly not my state school. Um, And Apparently, at the end of the recruiting year, they had two openings that were not filled. And I don't know if it was my timing, my resume. They brought me in for an on-site interview. They showed me a can of Comet from 1970s and said, you're the brand manager of Comet. How will you update the packaging? It was fascinating. What a great interview. It was. It was cool. And I think what got me the job is I said, well, I would need to start to understand from the consumer standpoint, what parts of this logo are meaningful and help the consumer completely identify this is the brand and what has generated you know, trust in your brand positioning. And then look for ways to update it and refresh it um, without losing that equity. I think that phrase probably got me the gig. Absolutely. You nailed it. Yeah. I was pretty excited that they asked a question like that because I was passionate about brands and I understood it. Um, and I think that that was great. Um, culturally, I kind of hated PG, by the way. <laughs> Um, so that was the great disappointment <laughs> Right, <laughs> is that I had worked, I had gotten this job, I couldn't be more excited. But being a brand assistant at P&G is an absolutely grueling job. Yeah. And um, just it long hours, um, tedious work. Yeah. And even it even put me off how much power I had over vendors who would Mm -hmm. come with their three-piece suit and pitch their goods to my 22-year-old self. And I would, you know, whisk them away. Um, (laughs) It it all just felt really artificial to me. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I found most tragic was the very firm knowledge that I could get hit by a truck tomorrow and nobody would notice that I was gone. Right. Um, so not a great fit for me, but boy, did I see it as an educational opportunity. They had P&G uh, University, they called mm-hmm. it, which was across the street from the headquarters on the 10th floor. And we would go there and take classes 
Um, we learned all sorts of stuff, you know, Six Sigma. Uh, oh, we yeah. learned, um, you know, cost control. We learn lifetime value management, all these great pieces that go way beyond marketing. So later to work for companies who wanted marketing to just create the ad campaign um, sometimes was frustrating. We talked about um, some of the things a little bit earlier. I think partnerships for businesses to find the right consultants, the right agencies, and for agencies ourselves, one thing we've done the past few years is really hone in on the type of people that we wanted to work with, the type of companies, and uh, that fit with our culture, with how we wanted to progress, um, and uh, how we wanted to help them. And it, it's not always a good fit. And I think a lot of times we, we pick up a company and they're they're right off of a bad experience. They, they had a bad breakup. They were unhappy with agencies. They don't trust anybody. They don't. They were overbilled. They were. They didn't get what they wanted, and we're left to you know be social workers at first and go in and kind of um, you know sit on the couch and listen to them, listen to all the stories, and say, all right, how do we make it better? How do we? How do you trust again? How do you get, find that relationship? And I think that's that's so important that nobody really talks about. You know, it's like okay this agency has a bunch of awards, so they must be the right one. Well, no, maybe they're not, you know, and, and are, are they the ones that are going to, going to handhold you if needed? Are they the ones that are going to share experiences? Are they the ones that really dig deep and tell you no, when you need to be told no? I mean, I think those are really important too. Yeah. Those, those are great points. And as a brand new consultant, one of my questions for you guys was now that you kind of hear how I feel about this, I already anticipate um, having pitches that end with, hey, could you just set up my PPC campaigns for me? <laughs> you know, and you're just like, uh-huh. Um, and, and what do you do? Because certainly it's in your wheelhouse. You know how to do all that. You know what they're asking for. But without all the strategic work, um, I you know, I I want to be vigilant about this is who I am and this is what I do. But as a new consultant, right. I also want to build long-term relationships that can grow. How do you guys handle that when someone comes to you and wants something clearly tactical that might not even be in their best interest? Do you use it as an avenue to create a relationship or do you hold steady because you've got 20 years of your own brand to protect? You know, it's a great question. And really, we look at it from both sides. Um, If there's great chemistry and we know that they trust us and they really are interested in change, but they have this immediate need right now, but they're amenable, at least, if not agreeable, to allowing us to come in, do razor branding, build a strategic brand plan for them, help implement that plan, then yes, we will handle some immediate tactical needs while getting the real big stuff done for later. If they say, no, 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 we just want this one little thing, test project, Typically, we're going to bow out uh, because that tells me that we haven't established the trust. They don't see us as the expert. They're not really willing to do it the way that we think is the right way. And we're going to get and I've learned this through a lot of of yeses. We get dinged when the thing they want to do their way doesn't work. 
because their way is the wrong way because they're not the expert. And so, but again, we have to pay bills. So for years, we were more willing to say yes. Um, In the past, you know, five years, we've really kind of come into our own and and grown up a little bit and we're able to be a little bit more um, discerning in our choices. And we really, I mean, you know, from the very beginning, I think Jack and I, everybody, you know, we believe in what we're doing and we really do want to make a difference, you know, and, and that's the thing. I mean, we're not, yeah, we have to pay bills and, and, and sometimes we, we, we'll do what we can, but at the end of the day, I, I, everybody we work with, I take it very personally, you know, and everything that we put our name on, um, it, it's important that it's done right. I think it's a travesty nowadays. So many people jump into this game right out of college and they, they read a book and buy a laptop and they're, and they're consultancy, you know, the biggest travesty is that they call it a game. Yeah. yeah. But Michael? it's, but it's, you know, it, it's, it should, I know there can't be a licensing for this kind of stuff, but, but it's but like, why is it there? Yeah. Okay. We're off the subject, but this is vitally important to me. Um, I just got a letter from our uh, state um, secretary of state asking me to participate in a, a statewide listening session about licensing. And that's exactly what I'm going to tell him. We license architects. We licensed hairstylists. We licensed nail technicians. We license contractors. We require insurance on all of them. And yet we let anybody with a laptop work their way into a room and go spend thousands, if not millions of a company's money. And maybe they know what they're doing and maybe they don't. Yeah, and and quite honestly, um, one of the insights that's leading me into this opportunity to consult is that um, CMOs are getting younger and younger and more tactical, right? Because they understand social media, they understand digital platforms, they are very tech savvy. Mm -hmm. And... um, I was talking to um, the owner of our ad agency, and he said, you are literally the only CMO I work with that talks about strategy. Everybody else comes to me and says, we need an email campaign. And so what I'm proposing as kind of my business model, um, and, and it seems to be very promising, is we have all these young CMOs who are just rock stars in digital execution and have no strategic background, being a consultant to them and being a coach. Um, and so I have a client right now where a owner of a digital agency went on to be a CMO of a very large company and is doing great. And this is the one I mentioned before that within 20 minutes, we assessed that I had skills that did not exist in the company. Mm-hmm. And that if we could just meet on a regular basis, and talk about brand strategy and building out the brand and even multiple brands that it would immediately make that CMO go from a B CMO to at least an A minus overnight. And it's really fun. I love it. I love being kind of the helper and making somebody else shine. Um, but that's that's an issue. And it takes some self-awareness, right? Because these guys are like, you know, 32 and I'm a CMO and I know what I'm doing. I'm an expert in my field. But they also have to realize 
wait, but I can continue to learn. Mm -hmm. And I just posted something on my LinkedIn um, from Atul Gawande, um, who's um, he used to be my neighbor. We went to the same high school. And so I'm a, a mini fan of Atul. But he was talking about he's this world famous surgeon and has written lots of books on healthcare. And he was talking about that he values coaching. And he mm -hmm. actually brought in a coach to coach him on his surgical methods. Wow. And it's this idea of if you just get to the point of CMO and then you just maintain, you're probably not, you know, as good as you were five years ago. You have to constantly be growing and, and surrounding yourselves uh, yourself with people who can help you grow. And what I find with this um, coaching arrangement is I'm also learning from the guy I'm coaching, which is kind of fun too. <laughs> Absolutely. We call it being a lifelong learner. And yeah. it is something that we impress upon everyone in this building and facilitate the opportunities for that every chance we get. And I would say it's contributed directly to a lot of the opportunities we've had. So because I want to be a lifelong learner, I coach, I teach because I learn when I do. And that's led us to doing work with Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business, with the Edward Lowe Foundation, or brand consulted for them, with Opportunity Machine, which is a local business incubator, with the Small Business Development Center. And so being able to give back, be on mission, and always stay ahead of those trends, I think that's what positions us to be good strategists for our clients. Otherwise, we're as far back in the knowledge as they are. And then why are they hiring us? Yeah, and just to um, like one of the notes too earlier, we were talking about with relationships with um, and and our what we're tasked to do. I think a lot of times we get in the weeds so much that Jackie has to kind of pull us out because we were like, she's like, look, hey, we're not here to run their business. We're not here to tell them how to do their business. We're here to, you know, we're what consultants. is our goal with it? Yeah, we're here to help them manage messaging or in, our, or in our case to help them manage who they are, who their audience is, all those different things, whatever they may be. And it could be operational that that there's a there's a roadblock or there's something that 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 causes them to not function properly and to point those things out. But we're not capable and we shouldn't be in there giving them advice on how to operate. You know, and I think there's there's a line there because a lot of times we're we're on that line. You know, we're we're literally bouncing I back. Crossed that line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what I, I do. I spend right. some time saying, okay, in your business model, your call center is going to be really, really important. So what we're doing here has to drive the messaging and the treatment that happens in the call center. And, you know, uh, in healthcare, a lot of what we talk about is first touch and last touch is by a nurse. Right. Is the nurse reinforcing the brand? Right. It it, it goes all the way through the organization. I'm that telling. If, if the nurse is saying something different than what we're saying in external messaging, we gotta fix that. We right. we gotta have the message integrated, the priorities integrated throughout the entire organization. 
we um, we had a large uh, hospital system for a client for about a decade, and I enjoyed the healthcare work. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And this is right in the transition when the uh, reimbursements became tied to uh, their grades um, uh-huh. and, and reviews, yeah, right? So like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 2014, 12, whatever that was. And so all of a sudden we were in a pickle uh, because we had to make sure we were going to continue to get those reimbursements and have that grade. And so it became a branding problem. And I was like, okay, but it's also a process problem, y'all. Um, you need to make sure you're delivering good care so that you're earning that good thing. And then what we realized was in the communities where these facilities were, it's a little bit more of a reserved uh, community and they were uncomfortable giving five stars. The, the, uh, the entire experience was absolutely magnificent, but they felt like five stars was just flashy. And so they were giving four. So we had to educate the community that four stars was a D. The Mm. only thing that was passing was a five star. And so then it became about reinforcing that. And so having it in the room, having us talk about five star service and deliver five star service and put in the messaging. And and it took a couple of months and we eventually were able to work it out and and it was fine. But you're right. Those two do intersect on a regular basis. And that's from consumer insight. That's from finding out what, what they want, what they need, how they're processing, what are their perceptions, and it guides the answer to the problem. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. All right. I'm just warning y'all right now, Tim is in the kitchen. um, And if I see that cup hit the ice, I'm at the mute because no ice. Oh, Tim says no ice. We're good. We're good. Well, I I have a similar concern about my husband coming home from a run. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, I know where mine is. so I'm not too worried about that. Um, (laughs) Listen, y'all, I'm trying to appreciate everybody's time. I'm realizing we're just hitting the uh, one hour mark, which felt like about 10 minutes. Leslie, you've been a dream guest. A dream. <laughs> well, when I listened to your podcast and I visited your website, I'm like, we're just going to agree the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's good for the people. The people need to hear it from two different perspectives to believe it's true. Yeah. I'm just sure. thinking of the people. Um, no, you have been delightful. Um, I'm so glad we had you on and we were able to work out some early technical glitches. Uh, and I wish you all the success Thank in you. your new path of world domination. I think you're going to kill it. Well, I'll, I'll come back after I've made my my, um, my million dollar, multi-million dollar full team firm successes. Yes. And I'll tell you all about it. Cannot wait to hear it. Thanks so much. And for everybody listening, thank you for your time. We hope you gain some insight from this and we'll see you next episode. When the day is-